Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin. Sayyidina wa sanadina wa habibina wa shafi'ina wa maulana. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa dhuriyatihi wa ahli baytihi. Wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yumiddini wa ba'd. Before we continue inshallah with our uh, readings from the Kitab al-Jami'ah, the Rasat bin Abi Zaid. Uh, I wanted to remind people yet again, inshallah, tomorrow's dars will be um, not at, on this YouTube page, but on Daral Qasim's uh, YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash D-A-R-U-L-Q-A-S-I-M. Inshallah, we'll try to put the link in the comment section. It's already there in yesterday's dars comment section. Uh, so inshallah, please do uh, please do join us for a reading from the Shama'il of Imam Tirmidhi about the uh, noble description of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah, it will be a Mubarak Majlis and uh, one in which uh, we get closer to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by knowing something, a little bit something more about uh, who he was and how he was sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Ibn Abi Zaid continues, وَحَرَمَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he uh, made haram. He made uh, 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 forbidden and illicit. Uh, uh, those excessivenesses and extremities. مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنْ uh, everything which is an excessiveness and an ex extremism and uh, 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 just being over the top, outwardly and inwardly. قال الله تعالى قل إنما حرم رب الفواحش ما ظهر منها وما بطن ولثم وقيل هو الخمر وقال صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله يبغض الفواحش sorry الفاحش البذيء. Allah تعالى says say uh, uh, indeed. My Lord has uh, made uh, illicit, unlawful fawahish, uh, uh, the jama'a fahisha, everything that's just like way over the top, just way too much, uh, outwardly and inwardly. And uh, uh, it, it, one of the tafsirs, uh, and, and, and he's made unlawful sin. And uh, uh, one of the tafsirs of the word sin here. Uh, from this ayah of Surah Al-A'raf is, uh, is khamar, is uh, alcohol. Um, and uh, Allah Most High says, indeed, uh, Sir Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that indeed Allah Ta'ala hates uh, the fahish, the one who's just excessive. He's just like, just too, goes too far in everything. Wal-Badhi, the one who is filthy in, the, in their language. Wal-Badhi bil-Dhal al-Mu'jamati al-Ladhi يصرح بما يكن عنه من القبيح والمراد بالفاحش كل مستقبح شرعا من القول والفعل والمراد مراد بما ظهر ما يشهد يشهد بالعين والمراد بما بطن خلافه فيدخل الغيبة بالقلب والتحديث النفس بمساوى الناس بمساوى الناس عفوا uh, so uh, here there is a little bit of tafsir, uh, a little bit of ex uh, a little bit of explanation what 
these words mean. So he says that uh, the Badi is the one who says explicitly uh, those things that, uh, that, that should be said indirectly, right? So for example, there's a difference between, between uh, you know, asking somebody like, how was your, how was your uh, uh, wedding night? And then, you know, or someone then asks like, well, how is it to like whatever, have sexual intercourse? Uh, the the two of them are saying the same thing. One is saying something indirectly in a way that uh, covers over the meaning with a type of lutf and softness and uh, gentleness, uh, whereas the other one is like kind of a gross intrusion into somebody's, uh, 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 you know, into somebody's uh, uh, personal uh, personal matters. But both both understand that the thing is important one is a tactful way of doing it one's an untactful way of doing it a tactless way of doing it i should say or for example if you know like somebody has to go to the bathroom you know you ask them did you answer the call of nature did you go use the bathroom is different than saying did you are you com have you completed the process of urinating or defecating or whatever uh, that's the is the person who says directly that thing which should be said uh uh uh, uh by uh, allusion or by uh, indirect means. Uh, and then uh, he mentions the fahsh or the fahish is everything that the sharia considers to be ugly uh, in terms of words or deeds. And the, the, the meaning of outward means that thing that the eye can see uh, 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 and inward is that thing which the eye cannot see. So in that sense, uh, you know, a person may uh, be fahish in their thoughts toward another person. So, for example, you know, people annoy each other all the time. Uh, I remember in madrasa, uh, some people, some of the brothers just annoyed the living smack out of me. I, they annoyed the snot out of me. One one of the brothers, mashallah, Ali, uh, 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 he used to listen to nazams and uh, 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 nasheed and pashto. Uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, he couldn't sleep without those nasids going on. There's like three, you know, there's six, six or seven of us sleeping in the same room. And so he'd put the tape of Pashto uh, 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 poetry being sung uh, into his tape player and he'd press play and he'd fall asleep right away. It, it, it put him to sleep like a baby, you know. And uh, obviously the problem is like in really it doesn't matter what language it's in, in any language. Uh, uh, you know, I, I get very disturbed. I, like I get woken from sleep. It's very difficult for me to fall asleep and I get I disturbed very easily, woken very easily. And uh, it's hard for me to get back to sleep again. And, uh, you know, a person is not, you know, Madrasa is not, not, not the super most comfortable place to be anyway. In the winter, it's not burning hot, but there's a lot of mosquitoes and it actually gets really cold. In the summer, it literally is burning hot. Um, and it's, it's, it's just not a comfortable place to, to rest in the first place. And then there's these like nazams that are going, going on Pashto, really any language and they would have uh, uh, not allowed me to sleep. But uh, the fun part about it being Pashto is that there was like large swaths of it that I didn't understand. And it's funny cause I'll find myself singing those songs to myself like in the shower or whatever. And I have no idea what the heck they mean. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe I'll like remember like some words of a sentence and I'll have to like make in some sort of filler Pashto sounding uh, words that probably don't mean anything in order to finish the uh, the meter of the of the line, but uh, man, it robbed me of sleep every uh, uh, every night. Now, this is an annoyance, 
Okay. Uh, I obviously don't have beef for the brother. I mean, mashallah, I, I hope well for him. He seemed like a nice guy, mashallah. Um, uh, I wish well well to him and for him. And obviously, you know, people don't show up in the madrasa if they're interested in like robbing a bank or something like that. They're usually good people who, 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 who Allah Ta'ala calls their heart toward the ulama and towards study and toward uh, the service of the deen. But like fahish internally is what is people become excessive with regards to these things, right? So imagine, you know, Pashto Nazam guy, and I'm like, I want to kill this guy, you know? Okay, it's annoying, and I, I still probably to this day I feel like it wouldn't be 100% unjustified if I, if I didn't, you know, if I if I if I thought that was un, you know wrong and he shouldn't have done that, you know? But uh, uh, you know, like I should kill him, like this. I hope this guy dies to like make dua that the person dies or gets sick or to like you know break their leg or something it's excessive there's an excessiveness in it and it's very interesting because the the word fahsha is generally used with some sort of with the connotation of like sexual perversion but the meaning of fahsha the asal like the original meaning of it is just to go way too far you know to do something that's ugly uh, and just excessive and just way too much in the in the shara of, uh, of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I feel like Nafrawi mentions the, that it's mustaqbah, that it's considered ugly in the Sharia because of his um, uh, Asharite uh, tendencies. Uh, whereas in the uh, Maturidi uh, uh, Kalam, the Maturidi model, uh, the idea is that what is beautiful and what is ugly is something that is a part of the innate knowledge of every rational and fitri uh, human being. Uh, whereas the Ashari, Ashari uh, uh, school, um, uh, takes a very hard position that these things are only de defined by uh, defined by a person's uh, uh, by a person by a person's access to wahi to uh, revelation that a person wouldn't know what's good and uh, uh, bad except for, for revelation. I think that uh, in the age we live in, Ash'aris bring a really strong argument because there seems to be like millions of people rolling around that 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 think that uh, if not billions now at this point that think that there's nothing ugly about sodomy. Uh, which I think, you know, that there's nothing uh, uh, right in a person's mind when you tell them it's day and they say, well, what's your proof? You know, you just look outside, it's day, it should be clear. You know, uh, it's something that, that should be uh, self-evident, you know. So we have like, you know, large swaths of people who, who think that, uh, uh, you know, sodomy is like uh, an expression of love. Or we'll have large swaths of people, like for example, India has like a, you know a billion people, the vast majority of whom are idolaters um, that do weird stuff, like you know think drinking urine is all right, or like think that there's spiritual blessing in rubbing like urine or feces or things like that on yourself, which is qabih jiddan. It's a very ugly thing to do. Um, you know that doesn't mean that they're not human beings or that we like you know wish ill for them or don't wish them hidayah or whatever, but like. The Ash'aris have a point when you look at it from that perspective, but I think that the Maturidis also have a point that uh, every human being innately, if you raise a person uh, uh, normally, you give them everything that they want and desire, and you let them choose what makes them happy and what makes them comfortable. There are a certain set of things even relatively twisted people understand. Like, you know, a person may be a criminal, but if uh, and they may be selfish, they may even be narcissistic or whatever, but even a narcissist knows you don't want to rub feces on yourself. Uh, these things are, are taught to people. And this is probably part of the, you know, the, a lot of the discussion of these things revolves around issues like, you know, every child uh, is 
who's born is born on the fitra, on the organic and aboriginal original nature of a human being the pure nature of a human being and the nabi sallallahu alaihi is very interesting he doesn't say that they're born on islam but they're born on the fitra they're born on this this organic nature of a human being and uh, their parents are the ones who convince them that like worshiping idols is good otherwise that thought wouldn't cross the mind of a person who wasn't like fed this thought that making sajda to wood or stone is going to help you somehow or their parents are the ones who teach them that God had a son that came in the form of a human being. Otherwise, that's not intuitive to people. Um, you know, like a Muslim, if you tell that to a Muslim, they'll understand like, well, you know, human being cannot be God. Uh, 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 you know, the, the creator cannot be part of their creation. That just, just doesn't make sense, you know. Um, uh, 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 or like, you you know, the, that, uh, the, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says their parents are the ones that turn them into a Jew or turn them into a Christian or turn them into a... Uh, Zoroastrian like into a fire worshiper or whatever and so uh, um, you know so the fitra what does that fitra mean you know maybe the maturidis would have a point if they if they uh, if they said that that this is the innate uh, uh, nature that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created uh, people with that they have some common sense about what's 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 beautiful and what is ugly you know and so there's a lot of things that are ugly and the Falahish are those set of sins in particular that have to do with ugliness. And uh, the, the context of the bringing of these ayat in uh, the Surah Al-A'raf has to do with like a number of ugly things that used to happen in Jahiliyyah. Like for example, the uh, Quraysh, they considered themselves to be the holy and sacred chosen people of God, uh, which is kind of like a really bogus complex for people to have. Uh, generally, people who have this complex, uh, they they will let this complex allow them to do all sorts of really bogus things uh, in the way that they behave with each other and the way that they behave with other people, um, and really even in the way that be, they behave with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So there's a number of, of of bogus things that they would do because of this, and one of one of those things, one of those many things, is what is they would tell the people when you come to make tawaf around the the Kaaba. Uh, uh, you cannot wear your clothes that you committed sins, and it's a blasphemy in front of, in front of the sacred haram. Uh, and so, either you, either you make tawaf naked, or you make tawaf in the clothes that we, as God's sacred people, give to you. And so, they would give clothes to certain people, and other people would just uh, make tawaf around the Kaaba buck naked. Which a person can understand how this is like very problematic. And a person should be able to understand how this is a, a very ugly thing to do, a very ugly practice to, to keep. And a person should also be able to understand why it's like in particular very problematic for women. Um, you know, we're in the Me Too era. And despite having like robust police force and state protections against uh, violence and crime uh, in a way that didn't exist in Jahili Arab society, um, you still have like these kind of Weinstein type people, and there's a million Weinstein's, of, you know, hundreds of millions of Weinstein's out there, and uh, still I, I feel like there's probably a lot of abuse that happens that that that's, you know, the vast overwhelming majority of which is either unreported or, uh, unfortunately, many women take it as just a part and parcel of being alive, um, and it's it's really problematic. It's really problematic, and we have problems uh, as Muslims, and we have problems in the Muslim world. But like amongst kafar, there's some really, really bad behavior. I mean, the Muslims, there's bad behavior. I just don't see it as being uh, as frequent. Obviously, that may sound like somewhat of a callous comment. 
because if it's less frequent, but it happens to somebody, you know, it's like little consolation to that person that it's uh, uh, that it doesn't happen a whole lot. So I, I don't mean to like in any way, if you're a Muslim a woman who has, or a Muslim man for that matter, who's suffered some sort of abuse, I don't mean that to belittle belittle your experience in any way. But uh, uh, you know, uh, there is there any. The point is, there's a lot of be bad behavior out there right now, despite robust uh, state protections against violence and against abuse. Um, so imagine how bad it would be in a crowded uh, uh, courtyard of the mataf uh, with uh, making tawaf with a bunch of idol worshippers, and you have to make tawaf naked. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, the women literally used to fear abuse and being touched, and because of uh, because of that very real fear, which was probably realized relatively frequently, um, they would make tawaf like in the middle of the night, and they would uh, they would beg the people of Quraysh to give them even a small strip of cloth in order to just cover their 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 private parts. Uh, uh, and this is something Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know. He, he said that like, you know, when they, he described those mushrikeen as when they do something ugly and indecent, they said that we found our forefathers doing this ugly and indecent thing and Allah commanded us to it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, say, my, my Lord doesn't command to, to ugliness. Uh, um, my Lord doesn't command toward ugliness. And this is the, the part of the part of the context of Allah Taala saying, "Khulu zina takum and kulli masjid," that take your beauty, beautify yourselves, meaning wear your beautiful raiment, wear your beautiful clothing uh, in every place of worship. Don't uh, make tawaf around the house of Allah Taala unclothed and uh, ugly. And it's really interesting how you know istidara zaman. You know, time has come full circle where uh, the teachings of Islam taught a person that, that from the, the, the beauty of a human being, from the angelic beauty of a human being is that we're clothed, you know, because there's an animalistic beauty and there's an angelic beauty. The thing that puts us on a rank above the, the creation and that gave us the tools and the opportunity to subjugate the creation underneath our control is our angelic ability to, uh, uh, you know, deal with, deal with nature without uh, uh, being being manipulated by it through acting on uh, uh, acting on instinct alone to be able to abstract and deal with nature from an abstract position to be able to suspend your own instincts and your own desires enough to be able to abstract and figure things out and uh, so the angelic quality has its own logic and reasoning and the animalistic quality has its own logic and reasoning and way of gathering knowledge. A human being brings both of these together. Wearing clothes is from the angelic beauty of a human being. Uh, wearing clothes is from the angelic beauty of a human being. And the raw, chiseled uh, 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 form of the body in its peak physique uncovered is from the animalistic beauty of a human being. Uh, people, human beings appreciate it. They can, like a husband and wife can appreciate it with one another. But in general, that's not how we want to present ourselves uh, in public. And even though there are certain contexts in which it's enjoyable, you can hear yesterday's dars if that's you know what you want to hear again. That's a context in which it's actually enjoyable and beneficial and praiseworthy. But it's a very specific and limited context. And it's not the context that the masjid should be, and it's not the context that the masjid al-haram should be, because worship by its very nature is something more suited to the angelic, uh, uh, to the angelic uh, profile of a human being than it is to the animalistic profile of a human being. 
And so uh, uh, what ends up happening is that, uh, 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 you know, the mushrikeen completely messed that up. And Allah Allah describes the fact that you're clothed as from your beauty. But, but, but now uh, after long suhbah and long hours and years of life and generations now spent under the uh, uh, hegemony and suzerainty of the people of Kufr, the people who know neither Allah nor His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the people who fought very hard in order to unclothe the Muslim and in particular the, the Muslim female and uh, convinced her, sold her uh, snake oil of, uh, you know, saying that somehow, you know, uh, uh, if you're beautiful, then you'll uncover yourself, even though the, the Quran itself describes both for men and for women, the zina of a human being, the beauty of a human being is in being clothed, right? Because what's the context? The context is that making tawaf buck naked is uh, is ugly and Allah Ta'ala forbade ugliness. And beauty, you know, Allah commands to what? To take your beauty in every place of worship. And beauty here means first, before anything else, it means what? Being clothed. It means being clothed. Uh, it's really, it's really uh, uh, vexing and very uh, sad. Really, it's heartbreaking that uh, uh, the Muslims in general, uh, and in particular our sister, although it affects the men as well, will consider nakedness to be from beauty and will insist on the right to be naked and to be unclothed. And in the public sphere, they themselves will say, "If I don't uncover my face or if I don't uncover my head." Uh, uh, you know, somehow like I won't be beautiful or I won't be treated beautiful. And the Muslim men, also the boys will uh, run from a, uh, 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 the idea of marrying a girl who covers her face or a girl who covers her face. Her husband will force her to uncover her face or even worse, uh, be a complete bereret, complete uh, 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 person of no honor and force his wife to unveil herself in front of, uh, in front of a non-mahram man, not just her face, but her hair and her other beauty and uh, uh, put it on display for other people. This is uh, a, a very, to put it mildly, it's a very un-Quranic uh, worldview, to put it mildly. And the thing is, my point is not to be like, oh, look, you know, shame, this woman has her hijab off, this woman has her, shame, 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 this man, uh, shame on you as well. Um, you know, in general, you'll see men will, in the Muslim world, traditionally will have their, will not appear without their heads covered, without their sleeves covered. The only thing you'll see from them is their face and their hands. It's not 100% a fiqh issue. If you look at pre-modern uh, Muslim society, I shouldn't say pre-modern, I should pre-colonial Muslim societies, it was a custom almost universally throughout the Muslim world. And I understand there are some exceptions. Maybe the Southeast Asian archipelago was a partial exception to this. But in general, from the rest of the contiguous uh, uh, landmass of Darul Islam, women used to have their, uh, you know, women used to not go outside without their faces covered, uh, uh, except for uh, those women who are of a lower socioeconomic class. Uh, uh, and you know, it was considered from the beauty of a woman that she what also from her angelic beauty that she would be covered. So you'll see the the queens and the princesses that ruled over like the princely state of Bhopal, one of the most uh, wealthy thrones uh, in the world uh, for for centuries probably of Muslim history. That the the princesses and queens who ruled as sovereigns under the nominal uh, 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 suzerainty of the the Mughal throne, 
but uh, uh, they ruled as sovereigns for all practical purposes, that they would not only have their faces covered, but the petitioners who would come and petition them would petition them from behind a lattice screen where they could see the petitioner, but the petitioner couldn't see them. How is that in any sort of degradation? Allah knows best. You know, that's the, the waswas of the shaitan that's got into people's heads. As far as I can tell, that's actually really boss. Most men won't tolerate uh, uh, an unequal playing field like that. They'll force you to show yourself, otherwise they won't deal with you. But those women, they had the power in order to force people to be seen but not be able to see them, and they got away with it. You know, you'll see pictures from uh, Bosnia, uh, and nobody thinks about Bosnia as like the hotspot of niqab. I think if a sister in Bosnia put on niqab now, everyone would think she's become Wahhabi, Kababi, Irhabi, Salafi, Malafi, Talafi. Uh, they'll probably call names to her. But look, there's like literally there are photos of of uh, um, uh, of Bosnia uh, after the sukut of Ottoman rule, after the fall of Ottoman, Ottoman rule. Uh, while it's part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire before communism, can you see women are walking around in burqa, literally not even niqab, niqab shows this much of the eyes, burqa is a mesh, you cannot see anything from the uh, from the, from the the body of a woman, and again, I'm not trying to tell women how to dress, you dress however you want to, I understand that it's trouble at job, you put on niqab, you might get fired, there's social pressures, there's this, that, and the other thing, look, your personal, your personal circumstance and difficulties, insecurities, insecurities, practice, lack of practice, that's something to talk about on a more like Oprah Winfrey type format or, or platform. This is fit. We're trying to understand things on a more abstract level. And then we apply whatever we can apply, whatever we can't. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us. But coming to the, the, the discussion that fahisha is ugly and uh, zina is beauty and this is defined in, in, in the parlance of the book of Allah Ta'ala. One of the things that is connected with it is what? Being clothed. That being unclothed is from an angelic perspective, something that is ugly in most cases, except for like a husband with his wife or something like that, right? But that's the exception, not the rule. The rule is that zina is in being uh, covered and fahisha is in being uncovered and it's something that the ummah seems to have uh, uh, have forgot forgotten. Um, Ibn Abi Zaid mentions right now that Allah Taala uh, exalted is He above blemish. Uh, he has made haram al fawahish inward and outward. Um, uh, that a person that a person should do anything and be anything that's that's ugly, and uh, that is not subjective. It is. Um, it is definitely something that can be explicitly known from the Sharia mutahara and uh, uh, the, the most purified uh, sharia uh, that is based on wahi, on revelation. And in theory, many of the ulama have mentioned that if a person were to be uncorrupted by the, uncorrupted by the happenings of uh, undue and improper influence uh, by a society that, that has left that original human form, that these things might even be intuitive or have some sort of intuition in that, in that sense. So let's see, there's some... Let's see. Assalamu alaikum. Usually our brothers and sisters who are more impressed with secular harm-based ethics as an ideal, oftentimes detached from practicality, will bring up a particular objection. The objection usually is in regards to slavery and conquest. Okay, that's, inshallah, we talk about that later, inshallah. It's, when it comes up as a topic, inshallah, we can talk about that. Uh, uh, it should be uh, when yuqraba an-nisa'u fi dami hayzihinna 
and Allah Ta'ala also saved her menses and her nifas. Now, uh, a bit of explanation about the details uh, here. Uh, and that is that uh, a man and a woman can uh, uh, have some sort of, I guess, a contact of a, 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 a sexual nature um, during during the menses or during the postnatal bleeding. But Khalil says, "Atfan al mamnu' or tahta izaran walo ba'da." نقاء وتيمم والمعنى أنه يحرم الاستمتاع الاستمتاع بما تحت الإزار والمراد به ما بين السرة والركبة وهما خارجان فلا يحل التمتع بغير النظر بما بين السرة والركبة ولو بغير وطء ولو من فوق حائل so a man should not have contact um, with the body of his wife um, for that part which is between the navel and between the knees um, so that obviously uh, precludes the possibility of sexual intercourse and the different ulama the different madahib have different aqwal uh, with regards to this um, the Hanafis uh, they have an opinion that's less stringent uh, than this which is that uh, uh, um, that as long as uh, a man and woman don't actually have sexual intercourse uh, uh, itself, then uh, to touch uh, uh, to touch uh, anything other than the private parts um, uh, is permissible. And I've read this in the, the the Hanafi books as well. The reason I mention this is not necessarily as a, a recommendation, but. Uh, uh, so we live in an age of the proliferation of fawahish so anybody who uh, uh, you know can find um, what satisfies them between them and their wife according to one uh, uh, valid ruling from the rulings of the sharia let them uh, take satisfaction from that uh, uh, rather than turning to the haram uh, because we you know we talked about you know lakahumul adun uh, that the people who seek uh, uh, seek the interaction of their private parts uh, from other than their their spouses, uh, which includes this whole really messed up and screwed up uh, 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 pornography industry and masturbation industry, which has rendered uh, generations of young men uh, impotent, both socially and unfortunately now it seems increasingly like physiologically as well. It's problematic. So I mentioned this uh, uh, this uh, other ruling uh, for that for that reason. So he mentions that it's okay to see it, see for the husband to see what's between their the navel and the knees of his wife, but he cannot he cannot touch it um, and take sexual enjoyment um, from that. And uh, 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 the. Uh, uh, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is mentioned. Al haidu tushadu tushadu izaruha wa shatnuhu bi aglaha that a man can that a woman can wear a uh, a lower garment that covers that's that which is between the navel and the knees, and then thereafter a, a, a man can enjoy a physical contact with his wife uh, from above that. And this is one of the things, uh, uh, this is one of the things, uh, 
this is one of the things that uh, um, also people who don't have uh, a lot of self-control, especially men who force their uh, wives to uh, have sexual intercourse in this time. It's really, it's not like it's in many cases, it's not uh, a happy uh, experience for the wives that they're taking their pleasure without, uh, you know, concern for, for their wives. Such a person will never be a good lover and they're never going to be able to like make love well or properly. Why? Uh, because it takes a special type of jerk to be able to enjoy, uh, um, with while being heedless of whether his wife is enjoying or you know uh, not concerned whether she enjoys or not allah ta'ala uh, protect us so you know give your give your wives a break don't don't do this when they're already down imagine somebody is uh, in their hive and they're bleeding and they're it's just like not a fun time anyway i imagine i'm not a woman so i can't say but i imagine it's not a fun time anyway physiologically it's probably rough and difficult so um be supportive, you know, uh, give them, give them a break. And on the flip side, you know, a, a woman, uh, if she, uh, she, if she, uh, you know, uh, comes to her husband with the attitude of, uh, helping a brother out, uh, may Allah Ta'ala reward, uh, reward her, uh, because she is, uh, protecting the sanctity of her nikah by, by taking care of him and not letting him, uh, uh or not, uh, uh, giving him an open avenue uh, for uh, satisfying his uh, desires uh, in a haram way. And like standard modern liberal Western disclaimers, uh, if a woman doesn't do that, it's not an excuse and it doesn't validate or say it's okay for the man to look for their desires uh, from the other side and uh, 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 let a man not uh, uh, you know, blame his uh, moral um, uh, shortcomings uh, on another person and vice versa for that matter if a man is not able to please his wife and doesn't put in the effort to please his wife um, then uh, if she were to show infidelity it's not that that's excused or that it's justified but if a man were to please his wife in such a way that she wouldn't need to look at anyone but him May Allah Ta'ala give him a high rank and uh, uh, be pleased with uh, the both of them together. So continuing. وَحَرَّمَ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ مَا تَقَدَّمَ ذِكْرُنَا إِيَّاهُ So he mentions, uh, uh, he mentions that uh, those groups of women that we mentioned from before are haram for a man to marry. So that's who? That's uh, a man's mother's, meaning her, his mother and his grandmother's going up in the chain, uh, and uh, his sisters, uh, be they half sisters or full sisters or sisters by rabaa by uh, wet nursing, his uh, um, uh, daughters and daughters, 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 uh, or grand granddaughters, whether they're the daughters of daughters or the daughters of sons. Um, uh, uh, his uh, uh, aunts, so both maternal aunts and paternal aunts, and his nieces, maternal nieces and paternal nieces. Uh, interesting fact, they say about the Emperor Heraclius, who lost uh, uh, Syria to the Muslims from the Roman, uh, from the Roman state, uh, a, uh, um, 
a loss that they they never recovered thereafter. They say that Heraclius, one of the reasons the Christians kind of cursed him, they say that the reason that the the providential help was removed from him uh, was that he married Martina, which was his niece. Uh, he married his 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 first and direct niece, uh, which was uh, considered in their sacred law as well as in our sacred law to be an incest. So he received some sort of special dispensation for it, but the people were never uh, were never comfortable with that. Uh, and uh, for that matter, the you know incest was something that was practiced in the ancient world. It was asked, practiced by the ancient Egyptians, uh, especially in the royal line. It was practiced by um, it was practiced by the the Zoroastrians. In fact, the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam he he mentioned that like you know like when you conquer all of these foreign peoples or whatever you know let them rule by their own family law like if they don't accept Islam let them rule by their own family law don't uh, impose impose the Sharia on them by force. Uh, he said and he made an exception. He says except for when you go to the Persians and you see that they marry their sisters, then you have to separate them by force. We're not going to accept that 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 practice be uh, sanctioned even if it's their religion. It's exempted from that that we're not going to allow them to uh, keep that practice uh, well uh, and so the rule uh, uh, um, the the rule for which woman is uh, not permissible to marry is uh, uh, also it comes in handy in another piece of fiqh that uh, you know probably <laughs> none of you are going to ever be in a position to apply but the knowledge of which is still an act of piety which is uh, to combine between two wives, the haram combination between two wives. So it's haram to marry two sisters, for example, at the same time. If one marries a sister and then they get divorced, then a person could theoretically marry the other sister, but he cannot be married to two sisters at the same time. And this rule then, it, it extrapolates out, which is that a man cannot be married to two women at the same time um, such that if one of those two women were to become a man, they couldn't marry each other. Uh, so we'll explain it and then we'll state the rule again. So for example, a man can't marry two sisters. Why? Because if one sister were to be a man, then they'd be brother and sister. They couldn't marry each other. A man cannot marry uh, a mother and a daughter at the same time. Why? Because if the, one of them, if the mother became a father, he couldn't marry his daughter. If the, the, the daughter became a son, she couldn't marry her mother. So you can't be married to both of them at the same time. Um, uh, a man cannot marry a, a niece and her aunt at the same time because if one of them was a man, then that would also be considered an incestuous relationship. A man cannot be have the nikah at the same time of two such women that if one of them uh, were to be a man uh, and they were to uh, want to marry each other, that marriage would be uh, incestuous. So that's a like a little branch piece of fiqh that a person can uh, have on the side as well. Um, yeah. And Allah Ta'ala commanded to every pure thing. And that pure thing is what is uh, uh, that which is halal. Right? Allah Ta'ala commanded to, uh, sorry, not bi kulli tayyibi, akli tayyibi. Allah Ta'ala commanded that people eat that which is pure, uh, which is halal. بقوله تعالى يا أيها الرسل كلوا من الطيبات من الطيبات واعملوا صالحا وقول الله تبارك وتعالى وكلوا من من طيبات ما رزقناكم والحلال and it means what it means what it means halal now one of the 
one of the interesting things, uh, and th you know, I'm going to try to exercise the utmost of self-restraint uh, to not go onto a whole tirade right now about the halal industry and about the really kind of backwards, uh, twisted up notions about what what the word halal means in um, in whatever contemporary North America conference Islam and uh, uh, what it doesn't mean. Uh, I have plenty of other recordings. You can go through to the soundcloud.com forward slash hmakbul and uh, listen to the recording that we uh, made with regards to this topic in MSI maybe a week before the lockdown started, so like in early March, um, if you, if you want to hear that, uh, inshallah. And if you haven't heard it, you should hear it. It's a very important part of the deen. Uh, Ibn Abi Zaid is mentioning it right now. And look, he's not even Desi. He's an Arab, right? So there is an Arab that eats halal. Uh, uh, that was a you know that was a, a comic remark. Please don't take it seriously. And forgiveness if you felt offended by that. I withdraw it then. Uh, but he says, Allah that commanded people to eat that which is tayyib, and that is what everything that's halal. This goes back to a discussion that we were having before, which is what is beautiful and what is ugly. Is it something that the nafs considers to be uh, uh, beautiful or ugly if that nafs is from the uncorrupted aboriginal uh, state or is it what the sharia commands is uh, uh, ugly and beautiful and so the tafsir that Ibn Abi Zaid takes which is in line with the uh, Maturidi approach the tafsir that Nafrawi takes which is sorry, not in line with Maturidi in line with Ash'ari approach and Nafrawi the sharih the commentator takes is in line with Ash'ari approach is what is that whatever the, the Sharia says is halal is, is beautiful and whatever the Sharia says haram is ugly. Um, and this scratches the chalkboard, chalkboard of my soul uh, 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 to a degree that uh, maybe few can understand or appreciate uh, 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 off the bat, which is in North America, we have like this kind of like legion of zombies. And... I don't say this because I want to offend them, but like if they take offense to it, what am I supposed to do about it, right? Um, the idea is what? Is that they'll be like, you know what? I would eat halal, but I'd rather eat tayyib. And like, what does that mean? They'll say, yeah, it's halal, but is it tayyib? What does that mean? Here at Ibn Abi Zayd, you want to be Maliki, you want to wear bow tie and go to the with the cool kids at the Rihla and all that other stuff. And here's Maliki Fiqh right now. What does he say tayyib means? Tayyib means wahu al-halal. It's defined as a thing that the Sharia says is permissible. So I always get whenever I give the halal uh, presentation, this long uh, 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 presentation I'll get. And then after all of it with proofs from the sharia, from fiqh, from aqidah, from hadith, from uh, logic, rationality, politics, from every different point of view, why we have to eat halal, drink halal. Uh, uh, always I'll get this question, which is what? He's like, you know, Sheikh, you know, there's a lot of things that are halal, but they're not tayyib, you know. So is it better just to eat organic, cage-free, and this and that, but it's not halal, but it's tayyib? Or, or should we eat the things that are halal, but it's raised improperly? So I get the fact that, you know, animals being raised improperly and treated improperly is wrong. And it may itself be haram. Those acts of cruelty are themselves haram, and they should be eradicated. And if I was able to snap a magic wand, I would eradicate them. And if I had a clone army of Jango Fett with, like, blasters and, like, uh, uh, spaceships that I could force this to happen by force, I would have done it. However, uh, coming back to the question, the question betrays a kind of very fundamental, like, cluelessness with regards to the way Islam works, which is what? 
And I always answer this question in the same way. And always there's some audience members who are like freaked out, like, why are you answering it in such an over the top way? But unfortunately, sometimes there's no other way of like conveying the point to people in a way that they'll understand. I'll be like, you're asking me this question about like, you know, should I just eat organic cage free? Although it may not be halal, but it's tayyib, which is a, a premise I disagree with in the text. Uh, agrees with my disagreement, or is it better to eat something that's 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 uh, halal but it's not tayyib? You know, if it's halal, it's tayyib. If it's tayyib, it's halal. Is there more you can do to make it more tayyib? Yes. Should we do it? Yes. Are we obliged to do it? Yes. But don't act like something that's haram can possibly be tayyib, and don't act like something that's halal is uh, is khabith or is not is not tayyib. That's just not the way this works. There is some improvement that needs can be done and that needs to be done, and we should do it and we will do it. If we had iman, we would do it. But don't confuse the two that, oh yeah, I just eat organic because somehow that's following the deen of Allah Ta'ala in a way that eating the thing that's actually halal, halal is uh, is not following the deen of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. That is completely disingenuous, the point of view based on ignorance. Again, I use these harsh words because they're objective realities, not in order to offend people or to say speak ill of somebody. So people are like, well, should we eat this thing that's tayyib but not halal or eat this thing that's halal not tayyib? After saying that the premise is wrong, if we hypothetically were to like put that aside and not question that premise. The analogy of what a person is asking about, I tell people, is like this. Imagine there's two people. One has a, 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 a girlfriend. Okay. That girlfriend, she wears niqab. She is the most shy, haya, bashful woman. She's a hafidah of Quran, and she has ijazah of the hadith, and she prays tahajjud every night, and you know, makes khatam of the Quran every night in tahajjud, and weeps profusely out of fear of the Lord. But she's the girlfriend, or you know, because I always have these masculine examples. Maybe there's a sister listening. There's a man, his boyfriend, and he has mashallah the beardiest of beard, you know, and he's like a beard model. And his turban is like real like nice and amazing. And he's imam in the masjid and recites Quran like an angel, subhanAllah. Right? And he's like just this handsome and wonderful, akhlaqi and dreamy and wonderful spiritual guy who weeps softly whenever the messenger of Allah sallam, is mentioned in his presence. But he's a boyfriend. Right? And then on the flip side, imagine a man has a wife. They're married. She doesn't cover. She doesn't pray five times a day. She doesn't cover. Uh, uh, forget about wearing niqab. She doesn't even cover her hair. And uh, you know uh, she uh, has you know has a number of other bad habits and smokes and whatever or drinks or whatever, right? Which of the two is which of the two is uh, uh, more proper uh, for a person to have relations with? Their wife that's imperfect or their girlfriend who's like perfect? Their husband that's imperfect or their their boyfriend who's imperfect? If you can answer this question for me, then you can also answer the other question as well. Halal is tayyib and tayyib is halal. This is an aqidah issue. If it is permissible in the sharia, one can say that it is tayyib, that it is pure, it is clean, it's good. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have any room for improvement that can happen, should happen, must happen. Those things in their place, they, they, all of those things may be true. But as a definitive statement, it is tayyib. What does Ibn Abi Zayd say? Amara bi tayyib wa al halal. Allah Ta'ala commanded to uh, eating uh, that which is pure and it's defined as what? Uh, uh, as that which is halal. فَلَا يَحِلُّ لَكَ أَن تَأْكُلَ إِلَّا طَيِّبًا uh, And Allah Ta'ala didn't uh, allow that a person should eat anything uh, except for that tayyib, except for that pure, which is defined as what? That thing which is permissible in the shara of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. 
mashallah, hi Jawad Kareem says zombies. I appreciate it already. Mashallah, if that's the only thing you got out of the darks, alhamdulillah. Wala talbasa illa tayyiban, wala tarkaba illa tayyiban, wala taskuna illa tayyiban. Oh my goodness. Wala tasta'amila sa'ira ma tantafi'u bihi o tuntafa'u bihi illa tayyiban. I think we're going to leave this, uh, uh, the rest of this because there is some discussion inshallah with regards to it which will be more appropriate for tomorrow and it's not far for me to take up an entire hour of your time. Uh, so uh, if anyone has any questions inshallah they can uh, throw them back up. Let's see, Bhai Uzar Munshi mentions, uh, he says you mentioned that the, that the that the text and the explanation agree with the Ash'ari opinion that halal equals tayyib, the Mahjuridi opinion is different. Well, listen, about whether halal means tayyib or not in specific, I don't know if there's a uh, if there's a, uh, a written creedal position with regards to that. But again, like we said in the beginning of the dars, um, there's the idea of certain things being beautiful and certain things being ugly. You know, certain things being good and certain things being ugly. And there is a, a discussion in the uh, amongst the mutakallimun that is the definition of or is the knowledge of those things that are <coughs> good and those things that are ugly is that knowledge only known through revelation or is it also known through the innate nature of the fitrah uh, is it defined by the the letter of the law or is it known by the uh, innate nature uh, uh, of a human being which is uncorrupted and then the sacred law will add on top of that and will explain, explain and define and propound uh, 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 and expound on that more uh, uh, and rectify that thing which was corrupted from the original nature or not. So the idea that that knowledge is innate in the fitrah is something that's closer to the Maturidi view of uh, human nature and uh, of uh, the Maturidi approach to the Sharia. Whereas the, the, the legalistic approach that the law defines what's beautiful and what's ugly and we, we just follow that is closer to the Ash'ari approach as well as the approach of the tariqah of the, uh, the Ahlul Athar, the, the Muhaddithun. Um, and it seems that Ibn Abi Zayd, uh, uh, in line with the, 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 the old school Malikis who are all uh, Athari uh, um, and then later on will adopt Ash'ari's uh, creed. Um, that it seems that his text is in line with that. Why? Because he defines that which is pure as that which is licit and vice versa. Uh, let's see the question. Assalamu alaikum, Shaykh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. If our message is open, do you suggest we should go with the risk of spreading or bringing home the virus? Jazakallah khair. Under no circumstance, under no circumstance do I ever advocate spreading or uh, 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 bringing home contagion. So if you know that's going to happen, then the answer is no, don't go to the masjid. We've been telling you not to go to the masjid for a very long time. And if you don't listen to us, uh, then, uh, uh, you know, people will heed our advice, if not uh, through uh, volition, then through Darwinian means. Uh, so that's that. Uh, my uh, opinion, uh, if you listen to the durus from before, uh, which seems to be what we uh, hear from our mashayikh as well and from the ulama, uh, of, of the haq is that uh, the, the, there is a sacred uh, uh, order that is established through the masajid and the silsila of prayers uh, if uh, a person can make it to the masjid and make it home without hand-to-hand -hand combat in the streets 
or, or some uh, danger that's of that immediacy that it should be upheld and it should be kept with a bare minimum number of people and this includes uh, Jumu'ah and everybody else at this point should stay home and uh, uh, this disease has proven that it is uh, extremely uh, uh, extremely uh, um, uh, contagious and there's no benefit or profit in getting infected in it or getting your friends and family uh, uh, infected uh, by it uh, if you're at all able to avoid it and there's definitely no benefit in killing your grandparents or your parents uh, uh, by it or the grandparents or parents of other people you know for that matter so uh, uh, you know many of the mashayikh have suggested for example that the masajid have like groups of two or groups of three people who are low risk individuals uh, both in their homes and in uh, uh, in their own uh, health uh, and in their own uh, uh, you know lack of uh, uh, pre-existing conditions and whatnot, they should take turns a week or two weeks at a time making itikaf in the masjid to make sure that the adhan is called and that the um, that the that the the bare minimum congregations happen um, and if uh, bare minimum juma is to happen in the Maliki school. Uh, it's 12 people plus the imam in Hanafi school. There's even less, uh, uh, even less uh, uh, stringent conditions. That every city should have at least one juma happening. Every metropolis should have at least one juma that happens in the bare minimum way, so that the silsila of uh, of, of keeping the prayers in the mosque open uh, uh, is uninterrupted. And uh, all subsequent uh, juma should be cancelled. Every place that's not a waqf masjid should shut their doors. Uh, um, and they should not have Jummah at all, uh, and they should consider telling people to pray even the daily prayers at home. And under no circumstance are you uh, to take the contagion and spread it, which reminds me of something else, which is a number of uh, people have asked me for prayers for their loved ones who are uh, ill with this disease. Um, uh, one particular case, and I don't know if you know, he gives me permission or not uh, to mention his name, so I'm not going to mention his name, but he's a particularly dear uh, brother to me. Uh, and uh, he is my close companion from the days that I uh, studied uh, in Mauritania and I consider him to be from the Ahlullah uh, and uh, a very learned and pious individual and a brother uh, of mine uh, in this journey in life and uh, he himself has been ill with the coronavirus he just told me today so I've been ill for the last two and a half weeks and uh, it's just not getting better so uh, he said I'm sorry I didn't tell you from before please make dua inshallah uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him shifa and give other shifa. Don't put your near and dear ones in that in that situation. Don't do it. Um, you benefit nothing from, from uh, walking into a trap. Uh, you benefit nothing uh, from walking into destruction and bringing it to your, uh, to your family members. The sharia not only allows you, it encourages you to protect yourselves. Um, and when it comes to the masajid, uh, inshallah, that which is far uh, should be upheld. And it is a fard kifaya that the sha'ir are established in the masajid until or unless uh, even that will result in death and destruction. As far as I can tell, three people are not gonna, three healthy people with no pre-existing conditions praying at some feet apart from each other is not gonna harm anybody. Um, so it is a communal obligation to support those people that they should do that. Um, and then thereafter, everybody else should just stay home. Uh, and please stay home until they find a, a vaccine. Until uh, uh, you know, you know things get better. Uh, please don't don't subject yourself to these things. And if you do, then just say, yeah, I'm I'm an idiot. Don't don't blame Islam for it afterward, uh, because Islam also tells you save your life, stay home. 
Allah Ta'ala keep all of you in their protection. And, you know, I'm not saying those people who got the disease are idiots or whatever. I mean, people get it because they get it. I mean, it's such, such an insidious um, uh, uh, type of infection um, that, uh, you know, there are people who are, who are getting it, who are dying, who are getting sick. You know, people who work at hospitals, they tell me every day I come home wondering, is this the day that I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go down and not get up again. Um, so please, you know, don't, don't, don't use religion as a way of, 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 of putting yourself at risk. Uh, even what we mentioned is just a few individuals taking extraordinary, uh, extraordinary precaution. Uh, and doing those, you know, establishing uh, those sacred rights on behalf of the ummah, so that everybody else can stay at home and be protected. Uh, as a follow-up to your explanation, it seems that according to what you, as well as others, have said, that though there is an innate ability to recognize good or tayyib, uh, that it still wouldn't oppose the Sharia. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. If you, if your innate nature tells you something contrary to the Sharia of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then your innate nature is wrong and the, the shara of Allah Ta'ala is right because the measuring stick of whose nature is uncorrupted is that nature uh, 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 of the Janab al-Risala Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sayyidina Muhammad Alaihi Salatu Wasallam and uh, if you claim your nature is more pure than his is then the world is your stage go ahead and uh, you know let's see you shine let's see you let's see what you got you know uh, but uh, until then your words are empty and uh, forgive us for not wanting to buy your merchandise when there's something better uh, already on the market and it's being given out for free, mashallah, uh, by the fadl of Allah Ta'ala. Uh, so, barakallahu feekum. Again, we ask for shifa and protection. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us our sins. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uh, take mercy on the Ummah Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and on his creation. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to use this means of this epidemic and pandemic and this waba and this bala. Uh, to raise uh, those people who uh, are uh, the people of obedience and to abase and humiliate those people who are mischief makers uh, uh, and those people who are tyrants and those people who uh, harm the creation and harm the Ummah Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that if Allah raises uh, the believers through this that even through death that he raised them through it and if he abases and humiliates the mischief makers that even through their survival that he makes it a, a means of their abasement until the day that they repent and abandon their mischief and abandon their harm uh, for the, the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ and the creation of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala used this as a means to bring us closer to him Allah Ta'ala make this the key to the door of ma'rifah and understanding that we should be closer to Allah Ta'ala uh, through this than we were from before. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, use this ilm that, that we're mashallah now finding new time to be preoccupied with as a way of uh, uh, of, of making us more beloved uh, uh, to him through it and because of that uh, fulfill our needs and fulfill our uh, 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 desires that are good that he's pleased with from this world and the hereafter and for our loved ones and for those around us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the barakah of these majalis and by the barakah of this dua and by the barakah of his divine name spread his hidayah and his guidance uh, to uh, the people around us as well. And if anyone is listening inshallah or anyone will listen at one time uh, or any of us who have relatives that are uh, have left Islam or that you know didn't accept Islam in the first place 
or loved ones or people who did good by us that don't have the deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them the tawfiq of reading La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa on their tongues before they leave and make all of us inshallah read it before we leave this world, say it and repeat it on our tongues before we leave this world and may Allah accept it from us and give us something ahead of us, in front of us from that moment uh, that's better than what we left behind.